Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Ken Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. I'd like to just do a brief study or a brief discussion today on revival, and I'm calling it Revival the Basics. There's lots of talk about revival today in light of some of the most recent news stories and hearing of Asbury and some of the other breakouts of what's being dubbed as revival today. It almost seems to have become almost like a spectacle or a phenomenon. But is revival real? Is there a real revival? Is there such a thing as revival? If so, what is biblical about it? What does it look like and what characteristics does it contain? And more importantly, what does it bear in terms of fruit? Revival in the scripture comes from the Hebrew word kaya, and it means to bring back to life, to restore to a previous condition or restore to health, to be quickened or made alive again, to restore something to consciousness. Another definition spoke of it being a revival or renewal or rejuvenation after spiritual neglect or deadness. Put simply, it could be defined as a heartfelt and sincere return to the Lord and His Word. True biblical revival includes repentance, a return to the honor and priority of God's Word, and obedience in lifestyle to the authority and commands of God's Word. It may include emotion or other experiences led by the Holy Spirit, but it is not governed or characterized by these necessarily. They may or may not be a part of true revival. So let's note what a true revival means, and what it entails biblically. I want to read several passages to you. First, let's read Psalm chapter 85. This is written by the sons of Korah, and we will see where they request revival. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. Selah. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. So the sons of Korah here are requesting for God to revive them again. They're seeking from God. 
that he would restore and revive them. They're seeking his mercy, his salvation, and his rescue. They know that the Lord will speak peace and bring peace, but also they issue a warning for the people to not return to their sin, to their folly. The word actually means silliness or stupidity. Sin is really stupid because of its consequences. And so in this request, they're also issuing a warning not to return to sin and folly. They're delivering this word about God's salvation being near and encouraging people to fear him, redevelop a reverence and awe, reinstitute the fear of the Lord in our lives and follow him, obey him. It speaks here of his footsteps becoming our pathway. We follow him. This is the same call that Jesus gave to his disciples. Follow me. In other words, obey me, learn from me, imitate me, live as I would live, do as I would do, say what I would say. So this is evidence and part and parcel of real revival. And the psalmists bring that out even here. In Psalm 138, verse 7 and 8, it says this. David is writing here and he says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. So David is expressing his faith in God for his mercy and for the fact that he knows that God will take care of him. God will revive him. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, it says this, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So God is saying here, I dwell with those who are humble and I will revive them. It's my desire to revive them, to restore them back to life again. In Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 it says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. So Habakkuk here is praying for revival of God's work and his mercy to be known in the earth again and to be shown to the people again. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31 says this, Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So Isaiah is telling us here that this comes from the Lord who never grows weary, but rather he will strengthen those who are. In Hosea chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. So Hosea is calling out for repentance so that revival can come. He's calling the people to repentance. In Hosea chapter 14, verse 1 through 8, it says this, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifice of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, You are our gods. For in you, meaning the Lord, the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. So Hosea here is speaking of repentance and its results, including freedom from its bondage and no more returning to sin. That's the call of repentance, is to return to the Lord and repent of sin. The pattern from Scripture indicates that it always begins from a dry or neglectful or sinful place or condition, considered perhaps as a deadness, spiritually speaking, or a neglect. Scripture indicates that it always comes in response or a decision to return to the Lord, coming back to Him, calling out to Him, confession made to Him, and communicating with Him him in humility and sincerity, which will then result in real change called repentance. What does repentance mean? It simply means you're going one way and you do a 180 degree turnaround and you come, you stop going that same direction, you turn a 180 degree turn and you come back. You return to the Lord. You stop going away from him. You stop going in the direction of sin and bondage. And you find that you say, I don't want to go this way anymore. The bridge is out ahead. 
and it's going to lead me to nothing but destruction. And so you call out to God who is right there ready for you to return to him and you return to him. You turn around and come back to him. This type of real revival that comes in response to returning to the Lord, calling out to him, confessing your sins to him in humility and sincerity results in real change, real love and devotion to the Lord and a return to our first love. In Revelation chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 8. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So real repentance and real return and real revival brings us back to our first love of Jesus, who we had left. So Jesus, writing to this church at Ephesus, is calling them and giving us proof of the testimony of those who will overcome, in other words, those who will remember, return, and repent, which is exactly what Jesus tells this church. Then they will be restored and refreshed In Acts chapter 3, I want to begin the reading in verse 12 and read a few verses. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord." So when real repentance occurs 
and people are converted. They are brought back to the Lord. They have repented of their sins. Jesus can wash those sins away through their confession of their sins. And they're calling out to him for his mercy. And when that is done and their sins are washed away, times of refreshing can then come from the presence of the Lord. And each one of us then become restored and refreshed. Therein lies the fruit. Real repentance leads to a return to the Lord. Then there's restoration of solid relationship with him that's unbroken because of sin and a refreshing of our soul and spirit from his very presence. I want to look at a few examples from the scriptures for most of the rest of our time together. I want to begin in 2 Kings chapter 18, and I want to read verse 1 through 8. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hashiah, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now, in here, we don't see the mention of the word revival but we see evidence of it in Hezekiah's day. Because in Hezekiah's day, he realized that the children of Israel were living in great sin and had angered the Lord. And so Hezekiah comes in and he cleans house. He removes the high places. He breaks down the sacred pillars of the idols. He destroys those things. He trusts in the Lord. He obeys God. And the Lord leads him and blesses him. So we have evidence of revival in Hezekiah's day. Next, I want us to go to 2 Kings chapter 22. And I'm going to read a large swath here. And I'll stop and comment along as we go through. But this was another place where we see real revival in that day. 2 Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozka. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work. 
who are overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. In other words, they could be trusted with it. So Josiah here is restoring the house of the Lord. He's he's repairing the altar. He's repairing the place of worship for the presence of the Lord to dwell with them, where God would meet with them. Verse 8, continuing, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Azaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So notice here that the book of the law is found, the word of God at that time is found, and it's read to King Josiah, and King Josiah hears the word, receives it, and its conviction and correction by the fact that he humbly repents. He tears his clothes, he confesses their sins, and he says, go and ask for God's mercy. Find out if God will grant us mercy because great is his wrath against us because of our great sin. So Josiah receives the message of the word of God. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, it speaks of how in these last days God is speaking of, and he says he will send forth a famine of the hearing of the word of God, which connects with Peter and Paul in their prophetic words about the last days that we're living in, because they speak of how they they won't want to listen, they won't endure sound doctrine, they'll want prophets and people that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear, and they're not going to have an open ear to the word of the Lord. Biblical literacy is important today. Hearing the word of God and having an open ear to receive it, including when it convicts and corrects us and humbles us to repent and confess our sin and seek God for his mercy. This is real revival. And it brings real repentance. The proof in Josiah's day was real repentance. There was real change. They destroyed and removed all sin and idolatry. They returned to the Lord in obedience 
and they returned to the word of God and gave it priority and authority in its place. And from that, blessings came, and judgment in Josiah's day was delayed because of this. It pleased the Lord greatly. These were days of real revival. They returned to the Lord and obeyed him. If you continue reading into the next chapter as well, you'll see where he restored the Passover, and they had the Passover again, which had been neglected for many years. So real revival, when it comes, it will come with humility and sincerity. It will come by hearing and receiving and restoring the priority of the word of the living God to its place, repenting and confessing sins and asking God for his mercy. And when one will sincerely humble themselves before the Lord and return to the Lord and repent, then God can bring the blessing. It will please the Lord greatly, and he can bring those times of refreshing. In the book of Jonah, we find out about a revival that happened, so to speak, in Nineveh. Repentance occurred at the hearing of the word of the Lord and receiving it. There was humble repentance in that day, and it brought real revival in that day to those people. In the book of Acts, and even in the Gospels, we see John the Baptist coming, preaching, return, and repent. Return to the Lord, repent, call out to him. Jesus preached, repent, and return. Peter and Paul and the other apostles in Acts and in the New Testament preached, repent, and return. And then John in Revelation 2, which we read earlier, Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus, repent and return. So the result of real revival is a return to the Lord and his word in true, sincere repentance and confession of sins. It is also a return to holy living and obedience. Remember, in these examples, they burned the things that were of evil or idolatrous, they got rid of them, they cast them out, they destroyed them, they returned and repaired the altar, they repaired the house of the Lord, they returned to the worship of God and to obedience to his word. And so real revival will have these results. There will be a return to the Lord and to his word and its authority and its priority. There'll be a return to holy living and obedience. There'll be a refreshing of soul and spirit, which is what Acts says will come as a result of returning and repenting before the Lord. We need to pray for real revival in these days that we'll hold and have and bear this sincere fruit. Now, there is talk of revival that's happening in our day. And if it bears the real sincere fruit, of what we've spoken of today coming from the Word of God, then praise be to God, may it continue and grow and thrive and spread all over our land. I just pray that it will be real revival and that it will evidence that because biblical revival will have this fruit and it will bring us back to the Lord who made us, who is worthy to be worshipped, who loves us and who wants to bless and refresh us. So let us pray for real revival in these days that bears 
this sincere fruit spoken of in the Word of God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today, and Lord willing, you can join us again for other messages brought to you through Covenant Truth Ministries. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.